Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Gentlemen, thanks for tuning in to AOA Today. Always appreciate being made a part of your day, and hopefully we're going to help shed a little light on some of the issues that are impacting the industry of agriculture today. Looking out at the markets, we've got mixed trade here. We've got corn and soybeans in the green. Beans up 10 to 11, corn up 2 to 3. Wheat, however, taking it on the chin, down 6 to 7. We're going to talk markets a little bit later in the program with our friend Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at StoneX. Before we do that, however, we are going to talk about what happened yesterday in Washington, D.C., the White House Conference on Food and Nutrition, Hunger and Nutrition, rather. Chase DeCoyd of NCBA will be joining us. They were there at the event. We're going to talk about what it means for federal food policy, and we're going to close the show with a look down to South America. There's a big election in Brazil this coming weekend on Sunday. They will be determining between Jair Bolsonaro, their current president, and Lula da Silva, former president, and Lula is currently in the lead. Cesar Cruz will be joining us in segment to talk about what that election might mean for Brazilian agriculture. Before we get to all of that, however, American agriculture is our focus, specifically marketing of American livestock. Joining us to discuss their recent fly-in to Washington, D.C. is Chelsea Good. She's the Vice President of Government Affairs, the Livestock Marketing Association. Chelsea, thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. Let's talk about what your LMA members were discussing when they went to Washington, D.C. Chelsea, what are the hot issues on the minds of livestock marketers? Well, when we were in D.C. last week, when we were talking to legislators, uh, we talked a lot about just the way livestock auctions are regulated. The Packers and Stockyards Act turned 100 years old last year and was really designed to regulate different businesses than our local sale barns or livestock auctions today. So we need some updates there. Um, I'll give you one example. It is illegal for a livestock auction owner or manager to own or invest in a packing facility. Well, in today's environment, when we want more packing capacity and more competitors in the packing space, that just doesn't make any sense. So we're asking Congress to actually make a change there. And Chelsea, I believe that change was included in the A-plus package, the legislation that was floated earlier this year. Is that still included in that bill? That's correct. So in the House, it's H.R. 7438, the A-plus Act that would make this change. We've actually had a Senate bill introduced as well, the Expanding Local Meat Processing Act, that Senate Bill 4709, and both of those bills would make an adjustment. It would allow livestock auction owners to own or invest in small or medium-sized packers, but at the same time would not let your major packers, your 10 biggest beef packers, to do the same and invest in livestock auctions. So we're keeping a threshold in there, but opening up that investment for your local and regional packing facilities. And Chelsea, how did the conversations go about these bills in D.C.? Is there congressional action potentially in the future on this bill? We had really good conversations. We're seeing additional co-sponsors, uh, members of Congress that weren't aware of the legislation previously. After talking to livestock auction owners from their own home state or district, they realize the importance that they're getting on these bills. So we are hopeful that there will be a path forward. And this is one of those things that, you know, change is hard and progress is hard in Washington, D.C. We think we've got a winnable one here, though. That is good to hear, Chelsea. I understand you also met with the regulators, the folks not legislating, but enforcing those rules over the industry. And of course, that Packers and Stockyards Act is in the focus once again. How did those meetings go? Do they understand the challenges that uh, that auction barn owners are facing in modern America? You know, I think that our, our USDA meetings went really, really well. We spent two hours with the Packers and Stockyards Division leadership, uh, the director and the chief legal officer. And, and we really developed that relationship. I've been at LMA almost 10 years now. And at different times, you know, we had a rocky relationship with the, the leadership of that regulatory agency. They were kind of a gotcha agency. And I think that we've really made some improvements where they now realize, hey, we're all trying to seek compliance together. Let's work together. Let's look for, you know, there are bad actors in our industry, unfortunately. Let's focus on them. Let's focus on getting those people who, 
don't pay for livestock and cause harm. Let's focus on pushing them out of our business and let the good people continue to be good. And that is always the challenge when we're writing policies. How do we let the good people do the most good they can do while catching the bad folks? And Chelsea, as you look out, big election coming in November, a lot of new faces will be coming to Washington, D.C. How is that going to be a challenge to educate them on what it takes to move livestock here in the countryside? We have the most complex supply chain that I'm aware of in the cattle sector. And so it's difficult to understand if you are not from the cattle industry, the fact that we've got cow-calf producers and backgrounders and stockers, and you've got livestock auctions in between, and then you've got feed yards and the packer, and you might have somebody who, you know, retains ownership throughout, or you might have different owners throughout that animal's life. That's complicated. So I think we have to do a lot of education. That's actually something we did on the Hill last week is we had two briefings for Hill staffers, one in the House and one in the Senate, and we talked through the different chains of our sector and then actually had the World Livestock Auctioneer Champion there, Will Epperly, to sell some pies um, just to give them a, a feel for what does a competitive auction feel like. So that education is going to be all of our jobs. Inviting legislators out to your operation is going to be another thing, especially as we have new legislators and new legislative staffers. Chelsea, the the pie auction with Will Epperly just sounds like a fantastic idea. And for those of us in rural America, of course, pie auctions are something we've seen thousands and thousands of at county fairs and at church events and you name it. But I'm curious, in D.C. with this crowd, was this the first time some of those participants saw an action happening live in real life? Absolutely. There, there were health staffers who told us, hey, I've never been to an auction before. Not just a cattle auction, I've never even been to a charity auction. I don't know what that environment feels like. And then all of a sudden it's fake money, but they see an apple pie going for $27,000 because, you know, people just can't stop bidding on it. They start to get, oh, man, this is what competition feels like. That is fantastic. Were they leaving energized? Did they have a better understanding of how this market works to match buyers and sellers? Absolutely. I think that they left with with, with greater knowledge and greater enthusiasm, just it, it is so um, energizing for me to put my livestock auction owners in front of these hill staffers. I had my national president, Mark Barnett, um, he's Kentucky, Tennessee livestock, my national vice president, Mike Van Monen, uh, he's got a livestock auction in Bowling Green, Missouri, and getting them in front of these hill staffers, you could just tell that the connections were being made, and it's going to be easier for us to get things done in the future because we've built that base level of understanding. That's what it's all about, making sure we have those avenues to get change accomplished in Washington, D.C. Folks, we've been talking to Chelsea Good, the Vice President of Government Affairs, the Livestock Marketing Association. And Chelsea, as you get ready, this new Congress is coming in. LMA is going to be ready to head to D.C. and, and share the story of livestock barns. Absolutely. We're going to continue to go back. It was great to have 50 livestock auction owners and some staff back in D.C. last week. That was our first fly-in since March 8th, 9th, and 10th of, of 2020, uh, which was a wild wow. week to be back there. We're going to keep going back. Um, we'll definitely have a 23 fly-in for sure. Fantastic, folks. Well, Chelsea, thank you so much for joining us today. Always appreciate your insight. And stay with us, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to keep the focus on D.C. We're going to talk about that White House Conference on Hunger and Nutrition here when AOA returns. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Choose the proven performance of the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, featuring high-yielding Extend Flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of Extend to Max herbicide with Vapor Grip technology. Elite genetics, triple herbicide tolerance, flexibility that delivers results, backed by 25 years of innovation. That's the Roundup Ready Extend crop system. The system of choice. Extend to Max is a restricted use pesticide. Always follow stewardship practices, all pesticide label directions, and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of Bayer plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. 
From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit channellistens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. This is the place most people think of when they hear that a seed has been engineered for superior performance and designed with proven genetic traits. Because something like that could only come from a lab, right? But this is where Allegiant Seed by CHS comes from. It's made by farmers for farmers. Its advanced genetics and unbeatable value are proven here in their fields to make sure they do the job in yours. Talk to your CHS retailer about Allegiant Seed today or learn more at AllegiantSeed.com. This is Ernie Johnson Jr. Sports is about overcoming obstacles and college coaches work hard to help young men overcome Duchenne muscular dystrophy. It's called Coach to Cure MD and you can help. Text the word CURE to 501-501 to donate $25 on your next mobile phone bill. Or go online to coachtocuremd.org. Text the word CURE to 501-501. Help coaches cure MD. Brought to you by the American Football Coaches Association. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact... You could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Well, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Appreciate you making AOA a part of your day today. Yesterday in Washington, D.C., the White House held the Conference on Hunger and Nutrition. This was an event that they've been talking about for some time. It was the first major hunger crisis in 50 years. And I'm curious as to what was discussed. Joining me to answer that very question is Mr. Chase DeCoit. He's the Director of Animal Health and Food Safety Policy over at the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Chase, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Let's talk about the event yesterday. Chase, what was the purpose of this White House Conference on Hunger and Nutrition? Yeah, so the White House Conference on Hunger, Nutrition, and Health was held for the first time in 50 years. You know, the last time this conference was uh, hosted, it was hosted in the Nixon administration, and it laid the groundwork for what eventually became uh, initially known as food stamps, today known as uh, SNAP uh, benefits. Uh, and the creation of programs that uh, work to uh, reduce hunger in the United States. Uh, as everyone okay. knows, we haven't achieved the end of, of hunger in the U.S., and so President Biden has laid out a goal to uh, end hunger and reduce diet-related diseases by 2030. Okay, end hunger, reduce diet-related diseases by 2030. Chase, now that sounds like an awful big agenda to try to accomplish with a one-day conference. Let's talk about who all was there yesterday. What type of, of people were gathered in D.C. for an event like this? You're right. You know, uh, a lot of folks in D.C. called this the hottest ticket in town, and it really uh, ended up being a both political and culturally star-studded uh, event with uh, high-profile uh, politicians uh, being invited, uh, as well as high-profile and celebrity chefs and others in the food world that all had a seat at the table, in addition to numerous organizations, uh, their uh, leaders from uh, hunger organizations, as well as nutrition organizations. Unfortunately, agriculture probably had the smallest seat at 
the table, but the National Cattlemen's Beef Association was one of the agriculture groups that did have uh, an invite to this event to make sure our voice was heard. Well, and and what did you hear, Chase, and what did NCBA share? What were the conversations like around particularly animal protein at an event like this? Yeah, so ultimately our goal as we've been engaging and preparing for this conference over the last several months was to make sure that we had a seat at the table. You know, we have a, a saying around here that if you're not at the table, you're often on the menu. And that was something we did not want to happen. We did not want these discussions to devolve into uh, purging meat from uh, the American diet or uh, potentially the insertion or the elevation of fake meats as a uh, viable alternative to the essential nutrients that you can get from uh, beef and, and uh, red meat. And so we wanted to make sure that that was accurately reflected. And in doing so and through that engagement, we were able to uh, maintain that uh, beef was not negatively impacted by these discussions and in fact uh, positioned ourselves and cattle producers to to uh, be an agent for helping to achieve these goals of ending hunger. We know that we have a long record of uh, positive science, evidence-based research that says the inclusion of uh, lean, healthy meat in your diet can, uh, in fact, uh, provide essential nutrients that many Americans are lacking today, like iron. Absolutely. Not to mention just the the power of protein to leave you fuller longer. That's one of the things I love about eating meat. Uh, Chase, I'm curious, obviously this conference was yesterday, but the administration had been gearing up for it for some time. Were there any announcements from the White House or executive agency yester agencies yesterday along with this conference, or will those be coming down the line? Yeah, so the big uh, component was that at the launch of this uh, event, the White House rolled out a national strategy, which really calls in a lot of ways on Congress to uh, enact different legislative priorities that can help achieve this goal. There are some uh, initiatives that the agencies can immediately start uh, addressing uh, based on what their current uh, authorities are. But for the most part, this calls on Congress as well as uh, the public uh, in what they're calling a whole of America, whole of government approach to achieve these goals. And so that national strategy laid out uh, how everyone can work together uh, to achieve these goals. Additionally, we did see uh, some, some big splashes from agencies yesterday. The Food and Drug Administration, FDA, uh, did uh, announce what has long been anticipated as a proposed rule on the definition uh, of healthy products and what a healthy label could be. Now, we're still analyzing that language because the FDA does not have authority over uh, meat inspection or meat products, and so far it does not look like we're addressed in that uh, label definition that they have put out, which is okay by us, but we'll continue to evaluate that to determine if there are any uh, potential impacts that it would have on the beef industry. Jace, can we take a step back? Because that healthy definition is, I think, just an interesting insight to the way Washington, D.C. works. This is a word that FDA has said they're going to give a definition to since the early 90s, the mid-90s, and just no action has happened. And now it, it sounds like it's, it finally is that healthy definition. Is that just a proposed rule at the moment? It is a proposed rule. So it is now open for comment. Um, and this is where uh, this rule has continued to get tied up is uh, through comments, through research that's been proposed to them, uh, that exact definition has gotten tied up over the years uh, at times. And so it will be interesting to see how they take and analyze the feedback they get through this comment period and what they end up coming forward with as a final rule um, down the line. And so that will be uh, something to watch. And I think uh, all of agriculture will certainly be engaged in that uh, because it affects so many of our products. Absolutely. Chase, you know, you mentioned the concern we had from the animal protein industry that perhaps we'd see alt proteins, the fake meats, make their way more broadly into the discussion here at a conference like this. I've heard that concern from a lot of growers. There's fear that the environmental uh, over uh, the environmental focus of this administration might include them to push that. Were there any major proponents of the alt meat space on the docket for the conference yesterday? Yeah, so really uh, amongst the whole slate of speakers, there was really only uh, one 
official that that discussed uh, alternative proteins, and that was uh, Rosa DeLauro, a, a representative from the Northeast. And it is nothing new. She has talked about this actually uh, for for over a decade, and so that was not uh, something that was surprising to us. Uh, but uh, in all reality, uh, everybody else really stuck to, uh, for the most part, the goal of ending hunger and realizing that that's going to take uh, all food groups uh, to address this um, this this national priority. And so, uh, for the most part, we were uh, pleased to see that uh, no official stances uh, of the administration were to move forward uh, prioritizing that within the national strategy uh, moving forward. We'll continue to remain engaged because now uh, we obviously go into implementation and action, and we want to make sure that uh, the outcomes of this event uh, remain focused on the real solutions. Absolutely. If the challenge is feeding people, let's get all the stakeholders in, which case, as you mentioned, certainly includes the folks who are producing that food. So glad to hear agriculture is being taken seriously. Chase, while we've got you on the line, I do know that another policy or another issue you have been watching very closely is the Asian longhorn tick, and it spread across the United States. I saw earlier this week it was confirmed in Missouri. So that tick is still out there and still spreading, huh? Yeah, certainly. We did see uh, it pop up in Missouri, as well as uh, some possible findings in Arkansas. And so we continue to watch the spread of that. We're obviously going into winter. It is less likely that we will see continued spread uh, too much uh, as the season cools down and the tick goes dormant. But certainly something that this is our opportunity uh, to uh, wrap our arms around and really uh, hopefully make people more aware through the winter uh, so that as we go back into next summer, uh, we will be able to monitor this and, and slow the spread uh, more. Absolutely, folks. The winter is a great time to get prepared, get familiar with the Asian longhorn tick. Chase, I know NCBA has some resources out there on this particular topic. Can you tell our listeners where they can can bone up on some information about the tick? Certainly, ncba.org has a wealth of resources for you on uh, all of our topics, but definitely on the tick. If you go under the uh, ncba.org and our producers tab, you can find our previous webinars uh, that have uh, all of the resources you need, as well as numerous speakers and experts uh, that you can help educate yourself from. Fantastic, folks. Check that out. Let's be alert for this Asian longhorn tick, and let's be prepared for potential changes in federal food policy. We were speaking with Chase DeCoit. He is the Director of Animal Health and Food Safety there at NCBA. Chase, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. And folks, stick around. We'll be talking with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist from Stonex, when AOA returns. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. When you choose the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, you're putting proven yield advantage to work in your fields. Extend Flex soybeans offer elite genetics built on the proven performance of Roundup Ready to Extend soybeans. In fact, farmers saw a four bushel per acre advantage and a 70% average win rate over Enlist E3 soybeans in 2020 germplasm trials. The Roundup Ready Extend crop system, the system of choice. Always follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and all other stewardship practices. They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of Bayer plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. We see corded soybeans hanging on to a little bit of strength while the wheat market is pulled back off of its highs here as we work through the Thursday session. Hog market finding some support, a little bit of short covering possibly ahead of the quarterly hogs and pigs report coming up this afternoon. Also possibly a little bit of technical support. Saw more good export sales for hogs on the week. We saw net sales of 34,300 metric tons with Mexico, South Korea, and China the top buyers. Beef net sales 21,500 metric tons primarily for south korea china and japan 
Over on the corn and wheat side, export sales were still below the pace needed, a little bit dismal, while on the soybean side was okay. Export sales mainly, uh, they were all higher than the previous week, but still just remaining below USDA's estimated paces, especially for corn and wheat. And financial markets are back to exerting bearish influence on traders as well. We see the U.S. dollar index. That's been something we've been watching very closely. That is off of its highs, but still moving higher here, up 15 points, 112.66. As we continue to watch, the dollar and the VIX is still trading above 30 this morning, trading near 32. The dollar posted a bearish outside reversal on the charts Wednesday, but it's yet to be seen whether that will signal a longer-term top or not. We'll have to keep a close eye on that. A U.S. rail strike still remains a possibility as various unions squabble about the value of the recent agreement brokered by the Biden administration. Also, the Midwest drought taking its toll on barge traffic on the Mississippi River system. Very low water levels are reducing the volume of grain that can be hauled at a barge, as well as decreasing the amount of fertilizer that can be hauled north for the fall application season as well. More factors that we have to watch closely in this market trade. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen. Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. Appreciate you tuning in to the show today. It's time to take a look at the markets. And that volatility continues, although the ag commodities might be seeing a little bit of an exception from that volatility today, at least in corn and soybeans. Joining us to help break down these markets is Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at StoneX. And Arlen, corn and soy relatively stable today. Trade waiting up on those quarterly grain stocks numbers tomorrow. Yeah, it's a kind of a, a interesting day, an interesting time for these markets because we're certainly seeing a lot of headwinds from the outside markets. We're seeing sharp losses once again with the Nasdaq down three and a quarter percent as we talked this morning. So big major losses there, um, and uh, on the Dow we're down 570 points or so, which is a little less than two percent, and the S&P is between the two. Um, so a lot of pressure there. We're seeing the VIX rise above 33, and as we've talked about here before, I've observed over the last several months that any time the VIX is above 30, it's, that means we have a high enough fear level on Wall Street that it's difficult for any commodity to sustain a rally unless that commodity has a really strong story. Um, and so we got a lot of headwinds there. The dollar is moving higher once again and pushing higher. That creates more headwinds. But when we come to the green and oil seeds, they also do have a story. Now, how strong is that story? We'll get some information on that from a quarterly stocks reports tomorrow. And traders know that these reports are known for their surprises that oftentimes defy logic. We also have the small grain summary report, which is the final wheat production numbers, and those numbers tend to be uh, tend to decrease in the September report from the August production numbers. We tend to see a smaller crop, particularly for the hard red winter crop and the soft red winter crop. So that does tighten supplies. Normally, it doesn't matter that much, but in a year like this, it can. Finally, you throw in 
it's the end of the month tomorrow and the end of the fiscal quarter, and in some cases the end of the fiscal year for some firms. So that tends to lead to some position squaring and, and being able to show profits on the books as well. So very difficult to really make too much out of what we're seeing now until we get past the reports tomorrow, till we get past the end of the month, and we can establish some type of trend under more normal trading conditions, if you can call anything that we've seen lately normal. Well, that's the thing. I mean, normal is as normal does, and this is kind of what we're living with. But Arlen, you mentioned right there, all of these economic headwinds, the outside markets are creating it at a very difficult conditions for a commodity to be in the green today. And yet, soybeans are there. We're up 1-1 one, one here in November, 2-3 to three as we get down to some of the more deferred contracts. Is there a bullish story developing in the soybean market? Yeah, you know, I'm reluctant to say that at this point. Maybe tomorrow's stocks report will show something different. We certainly are looking at tight stocks here over the next few months, but the longer-term story, whether bullish or bearish, is going to be determined more by the size of the Brazilian crop because we know as soon as new crop Brazilian supplies are available, that's where China is going to switch because, A, they'd rather do business with Brazil as a member of the BRIC coalition, and, B, um, because of currency exchange differences, they're going to be cheaper coming from Brazil. Um, so that's going to be the larger determinant. Some of the strength we're seeing in beans today is more spread trading. Unwinding spreads have been put in place in recent days, kind of getting those spreads back in line ahead of the end of the quarter, ahead of the stocks reports coming out tomorrow. Arlen, domestically, as you're talking to, to growers and, and friends around the country, what are you hearing on the early corn harvest results? Are, are yields mostly where growers have been expecting? Uh, I would say it's really all over the place, and it really comes down to a great extent of what kind of rains did you get in the last 45 days of the growing season as far as the grain filling time to create that seed size. Was it good or was it not? And where the rains were very short, um, the seed size isn't there, yields are disappointing. Where the rains were there, the seed size is good, the yields are very encouraging. Um, there's somewhat of a bias if you're east of the Mississippi River, the odds are much better that you're going to be very happy with the yields versus if you're west of the Mississippi, more of an odds you're going to be disappointed in the yields. Uh, but there are certainly exceptions depending on the range. All we have to do is look at the Mississippi River water levels and know that we've been very dry over the Midwest over the last 30, 45 days as a whole, but we still had some areas that did get some good rains in there that were very timely and did help with finish. Um, so we're seeing a lot of variability in the yield reports that we get in. Um, and uh, pretty much I think it is, is what you would normally expect. I've tried to draw correlations from these yield reports in the past to what final yields are. It's very difficult to get any statistical correlation because all they are is anecdotal, but it does give you some idea of kind of the breadth of, of yield variation that we're getting out there. Yeah, there is a ton of variation. And Arlen, you said something very interesting, which is the low water levels in the Mississippi. I got an alert yesterday from Mike Steenhook over at the Soy Transportation Coalition, raising everybody's awareness that, hey, water levels are down. So we've got that issue happening. We've still got the rail issue floating out there. Those strike votes haven't yet been tallied. What are you seeing on basis through the countryside here is these supply chain disruptions potentially could hit right at harvest. Highly variable once again, maybe more than much more than normal because we came into this harvest period with some very strong basis levels, especially in the west, but also relatively strong in the east as well. Then you have some locations where you're seeing harvest activity and starting to supply the grain and basis breaks. Uh, other cases where the harvest has been very slow, and one reason we've seen such slow ethanol output last week. Uh, reported yesterday is because a lot of we have some plants only working a 50% capacity because they can't originate the corn either it's not being harvested and or the farmers don't want to sell because they're bowled up so you have that at play in, in the domestic uh, side of things and then with uh, when you look at what's happening with the, the Mississippi River level that you mentioned uh, we're seeing that the 
the water levels are so low in some cases they can have to reduce the volume that they're carrying in the barge by about 38%, almost 40%, just to be able to make it down the river. That's also going to affect ability to haul fertilizer back up the river for the fall uh, application season. But that also means that uh, barge rates are up about a third from where they were a year ago as well. And who's going to end up paying for those higher barge rates? Well, that pressures the basis level upstream meaning that the the buyer upstream can pay can't pay as much for those corn or soybeans bushels that are going to be exported it gives a little bit more of advantage to the domestic user who can say hey it's going to cost you more to send it down the river why don't you bring it to me uh, gives them a little bit more advantage and so it means when when we're doing the rationing because of short crops exports get rationed quicker than what the domestic demand perhaps that's true. And Arlen, domestically, keeping the focus on soybeans, we've seen a ton of enthusiasm again for renewable biodiesel. The veg oil complex continues to find strength. Is that going to be a driver here all winter, do you think? It really is. And and particularly, we're talking, obviously, the oil seeds here. So that brings in soybeans. We are increasing crush capacity. There's a number of new plants that have opened and are in the process of being constructed and or, or or in the planning stages all across there. So we are increasing that crush capacity. The question is whether we can increase crush capacity fast enough to keep up with the lost exports uh, if Brazil has a big crop and China switches more and more over to Brazil. And that's going to be the key question determining what our price levels are as we get into the winter and into the spring, it's something we're going to be watching carefully. Um, and But we definitely are seeing some very positive developments on the, on the renewable diesel as more and more plants are moving that direction. Arlen, while we're thinking about soybeans, I've got a question about Argentina. I saw an alert here from uh, Martin Lopez, a crop insurance or a crop estimate analyst at Buenos Aires Grain Exchange, and he thinks the Argentinian soy crop is going to grow by 11% this year, 48 million metric tons. What's your take on that? That seems a little large to me. Well, you have to keep in mind that the, even though they've been in a drought for quite some time, and even though the forecast is for continued drought, that they have to assume and make those estimates that they'll have normal weather. Keep in mind that they don't start planting their soybeans until November, December, into January, and La Nina is expected to be weakening then. And last year's crop that they're comparing it to was drought-shortened. So they're making an assumption that they're going to be improving it yields back to normal levels from a year ago levels um, and uh, that's still the question mark will La Nina finally weaken in this third year and uh, allow them to have a more normal growing season or not uh, right now they're assuming so and that's where they get the 48 million metric ton production estimate for the coming growing season Gotcha. Okay, just taking a look at expectations. Arlen, I want to, before we let you go, get your thoughts here on the livestock market. Live cattle not finding a lot of strength today. Where do you think we go from here? Yeah, we're certainly expecting to see the lower numbers with beef production in 2023 expected to be down 6%, and it could be more if we see the change in weather pattern. If we see La Nina break and finally start to see rains across the western half of the country, and then the cattlemen start to hold back the heifers, reducing meat supply to the packers even more. Um, so that's the bullish scenario. The bearish scenario is right now we've got an economy that's really hurting and that consumers pulling back into strong dollars really hurting exports. So that's what the market's trading today is those larger economic fears longer term. Lots of things to watch as these markets continue moving between the geopolitical events, the currency moves, and of course, the fundamental supply and demand. Arlen, I'm grateful. We've got you keeping an eye on all these factors. Thanks for joining us here today on AOA. Thank you, Mike. It's great to be back with you. And folks, stick around. We're going to take the focus back to Brazil here in the next segment. We're going to talk with Dr. Cesar Cruz. He's the director of research at ATI. He is a native Brazilian, has been in the U.S. here for some time, but he keeps close ties with his friends in Brazil. We're going to talk about what's coming this weekend with the big election for the presidency down there in that country. So stick around for more AOA after this. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. 
Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach, and in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it. Or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to tell everything's changed. I had to tell. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to The Monthly Grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association, and each month we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on The Monthly Grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month, and you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. To be the king of the road, you have to fill with the king of diesels. We're talking about Cenex Premium Diesel. It comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Cenex Roadmaster XL even cleans up and prevents injector fouling to keep your trucks out of the shop and on the road. And typical number two diesel? That's always an option. The wrong option. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. The average American eats 250 eggs per year, which translates to a total annual consumption of 76.5 billion eggs in the U.S. About 60% of eggs produced here in the U.S. are used by consumers, and about 9% are used by the food service industry. A chef's hat is said to have a pleat for each of the many ways you can cook eggs. The color can range from white to deep brown. Hens with white feathers and earlobes lay white-shelled eggs, while hens with red feathers and earlobes lay brown-shelled eggs. Because breeds that lay brown eggs are typically slightly larger birds, they require more food, making brown eggs usually more expensive than white. You can tell whether an egg is fresh or stale by dropping it in water. A fresh egg will sink, but a stale one will float. Eggs also contain all the essential protein, minerals, and vitamins, and egg yolks are one of the few foods that naturally contain vitamin D. And eggs are also good for your eyes because they contain lutein, which helps prevent age-related cataracts and muscle degeneration. These Farm Facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. And we're live here outside the Perez family home just waiting for the... And there they go, almost on time this morning. Mom is coming out the front door strong with a double-arm kid carry. Looks like Dad has the bags. Daughter is bringing up the rear. Oh, but the diaper bag wasn't closed. Diapers and toys are everywhere. Ooh, but Mom has just nailed the perfect car seat buckle for the toddler. And now the eldest daughter, who looks to be about 9 or 10, has secured herself in the booster seat. Dad zips the bag closed, and they're off. Ah, but looks like Mom doesn't realize her coffee cup is still on the roof of the car. And there it goes. Oh, that's a shame. That mug was a fam favorite. Don't sweat the small stuff. Just nail the big stuff. 
like making sure your kids are buckled correctly in the right seat for their age and size. Learn more at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. I think three times so far on today's show, the topic of Brazil has come up. The two largest players truly in the globalized ag export industry are the United States and Brazil. What happens down in that country certainly impacts the returns on farms here in America. And so I believe it's worthwhile for farmers in this country to keep up to speed with what is happening down there in what is really our largest competitor for that global export market. And there are some big things happening in Brazil, notably this week weekend on Sunday, there's a presidential election. Current President Jair Bolsonaro is running against uh, his challenger, Ignacio Lula da Silva goes by Lula, and it is it is a hard-fought election. I wanted an update from the ground. How are Brazilians feeling about this? And to help provide that, we're talking with Dr. Cesar Cruz. He is the Director of Research at Advanced Trading. He is also a native Brazilian now living in the United States. And Cesar, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Mike. I'm happy to be here and sharing some information with you. Let's talk about this election. This has been a tough campaign for both parties, hasn't it, but down there in Brazil? Yeah, you're right. Uh, right now, as you mentioned before, we're going to have elections on Sunday, uh, October the 2nd. And the difference between Lula, who is actually leading the polls, uh, is widening. Uh, Bolsonaro is second uh, on the, in the polls right now. And the recent polls actually are showing that there is some chance that Lula can actually win the election uh, on the first round. I don't think that's going to happen, but that shows that people are actually uh, willing to vote for the former president, Lula, uh, on Sunday. Absolutely. And you mentioned, I think this is an important point, the first round of voting is on Sunday. And if no candidate beats 50 percent, Cesar, is it, then there's a runoff between the top two? Exactly. 50, 50% plus one vote, uh, uh, that's the, the what can make Lula win the election on the first round. And if it doesn't happen, we're going to have the second round, uh, round in late October. All right. Well, as you mentioned, the polls currently show Lula is in the lead. We'll see the results come Sunday night. But as the, as the, the farmers, the producers in Brazil anticipate a change, what's expected with regard to agriculture should Lula win the presidency? Is he going to change the industry very much, Cesar? That's a very good question. Well, um, I, I'm not expecting big changes, in, even if Lula wins the election. Uh, I think all candidates know the importance that uh, agriculture has to Brazil. Brazil depends a lot on uh, exports of uh, beans, corn, and several other uh, uh, agricultural products, including beef, chicken meat. And uh, I don't think there is any candidate that's who are willing to make big changes in the politics, even though they don't have a very clear program. Uh, for in their campaign. Uh, if Lula wins this election, I don't think there'll be a lot of changes. They will have the same challenges, old challenges uh, for Brazilians. Infrastructure is still a problem for Brazil. Uh, Lula is a better candidate for maybe for international market. He has experience. He has been the president for eight years in Brazil in the past. Uh, Bolsonaro he actually made sure that Brazilians could uh, buy uh, inputs, fertilizers, from Russia, Brazil is dependent on uh, import fertilizers, importing fertilizers from uh, everywhere in the world, including Russia. And Bolsonaro actually uh, visited Russia and made sure that Brazilians could have those fertilizers to start like planting this year. So I think both candidates have uh, good things for Brazil. And even if Lula wins, I don't see that a lot of big changes can happen in Brazil. But okay. I think Brazilian producers are actually supporting more Bolsonaro than Lula. They are. They are. And I've noticed that I've seen that on Twitter, but it's always tough to guess from from anecdotes where people are leaning politically. And it, is it their concern about uh, economic conditions changing? Should Lula be be elected? He, he was a very popular socialist leaning president back in his first term, wasn't he? Yeah, you're right. You're completely right. I think the, what can there might be fearing is that Lula can support uh, some actions that Bolsonaro actually do not. 
for instance, uh, Bolsonaro, uh, he, he apparently doesn't care much for uh, native Brazilian reserves, for example. Uh, Lula has more leading towards like a social uh, uh, action toward his politics. He did that in the past. And I think that's the main concern for, for producers. But to be honest, I don't support either one. I don't support Lula or Bolsonaro. So I'm very neutral here talking to you now. And uh, I, I think regardless of whoever wins this election, we're going to have some volatility. We are seeing a lot of volatility on exchange rate in Brazil. Interest rate is very high. And those are going to be very challenging for either Lula or Bolsonaro to overcome uh, for the next four years. Yeah, that's a great point. Whoever the person is in politics, they're still going to be dealing with the issues on the ground. You mentioned interest rates and and the currency exchange rates have been quite volatile. And Cesar, I'm curious, how does that leave the Brazilian farmers feeling economically? Are they well situated heading into this next growing season? Well, they are, like I, as I mentioned before, they have enough uh, inputs, fertilizers to, to, to plant now. Uh, for the safinha crop that's going to be planted early next year, that might be a problem. Uh, even though they have the inputs they need in Brazil, everywhere in the world inputs are high. Uh, so the costs are higher uh, this year, mainly because the, of the exchange rate that is actually high and all the logistics problems that we're having everywhere in the world. Uh, so there are challenges for producers uh, for next year. But they're covered for the crop they are going to start planting now. They actually have started planting now. So they have enough inputs to plant. They have, and you believe the crop acres are going to go up substantially this year. Is that right, down in Brazil? Yes, you are right. We are talking about 3.5% more hectares for, for beans, 2.5% more acres for, for corn, and increasing their yields also. Brazil had a very bad 21-22. Uh, has had, uh, Argentina and Paraguay, they had problems with La Nina, and La Nina is still like a, a problem, can be a problem for this year. Uh, but if everything is confirmed, if you don't have the weather problem this year again, we can expect Brazil to produce more hectares, have better yields, produce more, and export more corn and beans in, uh, to the world. More coming on the global market, folks. That's Dr. Cesar Cruz. He's the Director of Research with Advanced Trading. Cesar, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. And folks, tune in tomorrow. We're going to talk more agriculture and we're going to talk global events with John Holzman, geopolitical strategist. So be sure to tune in to tomorrow's AOA. Have a great day, everybody. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. When you choose the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, you're putting proven yield advantage to work in your fields. Extend Flex soybeans offer elite genetics built on the proven performance of Roundup Ready to Extend soybeans. In fact, farmers saw a 4 bushel per acre advantage and a 70% average win rate over Enlist E3 soybeans in 2020 germplasm trials. The Roundup Ready Extend crop system, the system of choice. Always follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and all other stewardship practices. They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of Bayer plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions.